0: I've entitled What a Question. Uh, It doesn't, you say, wow, that's not very intriguing at all. Uh, It's not. I'm just going to answer some questions this morning. Um, I've recently had a a friend uh, ask a question that I've heard asked before. It's been asked several ways, several different ways, and uh, it's still kind of a tough question for Christians to answer because we're raised in this safe church environment, you know, where you use your church lingo and you you say your churchy words and your churchy things, but it's kind of cool when somebody on the outside hears it and says something don't line up with what you just said. The question is this, if God is omnipresent, meaning at all places, existing at all places, at all times, why do Christians sing songs about God showing up or about His Spirit falling on us and all of these things? It's a legitimate question. And since He's omnipresent... Isn't he already here? So why does he need to come if he's already here? And if he is already here, why don't his people know it? And if God is omnipresent, then why does the Bible speak so much about us drawing near or seeking God? Seriously, how can you draw near to God if he's everywhere? Christians use statements like, you know, the Lord is closer to you than your very next breath, but yet we talk about seeking Him and finding Him. And in the, the, the lingo and the words and everything that we use, which I know that we have some grasp to it in our hearts and our minds, what we're trying to say uh, to somebody outside the church, and we go, what? And then and then we say, I don't know how I should answer that. So then we start questioning ourselves on some of it. The underlying purpose for these types of questions occasionally, and I believe this person that asked this was really seeking for truth, But there are times where somebody will ask a question like this, and the reason to do it is to to, to discredit the Bible, the authority of the Word, to try to discredit God and what God has said, because if they can find uh, that the Word in their mind, you know, we say it's infallible, but if they can find that 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 that's not true, then they can credit that to God, that God doesn't exist and all the things. And if God doesn't exist, then there's no need for me to follow His laws, and I can continue on in my sinful lifestyle. That's really the motive behind the question, usually when questions like this are asked. But I I just want to clarify these things today and talk to you about it. I think you'll be blessed by it, and uh, I know I'm blessed by it just being able to share it. But the Bible clarifies both God's omnipresence and clarifies our need to draw near to Him. It's all through the scripture. I'm not going to pull out every single passage, but if you've read the Bible lately, you've seen where we're supposed to draw near to the Lord, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. We start talking about all of this stuff and that's hard for us to grasp in the sense that uh, you know, that God is omnipresent. First of all, Solomon understood the greatness of our God when he said this in 1 Kings Chapter 8, verse 27, which by the way, I'm going to be all over the Bible today, so it's probably easiest for you to follow me on the screen unless you're really quick flipping the pages. <laughs> um, or you can follow along in new version, either way. So 1, uh, 1 Kings 8:27, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built? God is so great, church. That he cannot remove himself to dwell, remove himself from everything else to dwell on earth alone. And right now everybody's going, ah, Jesus. Well, I understand that Jesus uh, was incarnated into the flesh and walked this earth. He was, he's, he was given a body so that he could be a sacrifice for you and I, amen, and praise God for that. However, that's Jesus. That's just one part of the triune Godhead we serve, So while Jesus allowed himself to become incarnate on this earth, there was still the manifest presence of God at all turns throughout the entire universe, throughout the entire earth, throughout all of heaven. God's glory and his presence did not cease to exist at the throne to come to the earth. God is the forever existent I am. He has always been, he always will be, but the fact of the matter is, is that the heavens, the highest heavens cannot contain God. Nothing can block him in. Nothing can surround him. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 about having been caught up into the third heaven. Does everybody remember that scripture? Being caught up into the third heaven and seeing things that he, he wasn't uh, he, that he was blessed to see those things. Folks, you say, What is the third heaven? There's three heavens right now. Everybody's going, Whoa, there's three. Um, Okay. What are the three heavens? Scripturally based, the heavens are these. The first heaven is this. You're breathing it right now. Okay. Heaven on earth? No. It's talking about the heavens where the birds fly, where the sky is, the atmosphere. Everybody say atmosphere. That's the first heaven, that which is above our heads. Okay. That which is over us where the planes fly. All right. That's, that's the first heaven. Does God dwell there? He does, but that's not where his throne is, okay? God is everywhere. That's the first heaven. The second heaven is a reference to outer space. If you can get into a plane or a rocket ship that will force you up to the point to where you will break through the barrier of this atmosphere, what you would experience and what you would see happen is the blue sky that you see in front of you will eventually begin to fade and you'll begin to see stars in the daytime. You'll poke through that, you'll see darkness as far as you can see because there's nothingness. That's darkness, that is outer space, okay? That would be the second heaven. The cool thing about the second heaven, we haven't found the end of it yet, all right? We don't know where it is, okay? There is no end as far as we can tell or anything that we can see. So that which God has created is still eternal in that sense that you cannot find the end of it. Alright? That's the second heaven. The third heaven is the place where God's throne is. It's a spiritual place. It's not a place that was uh, created in the natural sense to where if we go far enough through the second heaven, eventually we'll poke through into the third heaven, okay? The third heaven is a place where God's throne is. Alright? Now, looking at that scripture, it says this, But will God really dwell on earth in in the sense of saying, can the earth contain all of God? Can God minimize himself to dwell on earth in this temple? The heavens, even the highest heaven, see the heavens first and second, and even the highest heaven where God's throne is, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. What he's saying there, folks, is, is that there is nothing that can contain our God because he fulfills and fills every part of this. He, is, uh, he contains it rather than it containing him. God contains all things. Let's talk about it. Jeremiah 23, verses 23 and 24. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Again, he's filled heaven and earth, and he's saying all of these things about the fact I'm not just a God that's nearby, but I'm a God far away too. He's in all these places. And Tozer, A.W. Tozer, gives an example of God's greatness like this. He says, God fills heaven and earth just as the ocean fills a bucket which has been submerged in it a mile down. The bucket is full of the ocean, but the ocean surrounds the bucket in all directions. So when God says he fills heaven and earth, he does. But heaven and earth are submerged in God and all space is too. That's a powerful picture. You say, Pastor, I don't understand. When we start talking about how the heavens, even the highest heaven, this earth cannot contain our God, and yet He's full everywhere in all things today, it's compared to a bucket being dropped to the bottom of the ocean. The bucket's full of God, and yet the bucket's surrounded by God. This earth, heaven, outer space, the first heaven, the atmosphere we're in now, is a bucket. It's just a little bucket compared to our God isn't that a powerful thought this God we serve is omnipresent he is in all things he is through all things he is nearer to you than your next breath and he is farther than anything than you can ever reach or imagine I got into an argument with Michelle Hughes in the first service because I said if you wanted to go to Pluto God would be there I said the planet Pluto she said it's not a planet anymore I said I think it is It don't matter what it is. God made it and he's there. If I can stick Michelle Hughes on that planet, God would be there with her. I picked on you twice this morning, didn't I? The second one's coming. I'll probably do it again, okay? She's an easy easy target. She just giggles through it all. so. So because of this, God is never far away from us. And we are not insignificant to Him. You say, Pastor, if, 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 I was, if God is that massive and we're just a bucket in the ocean of God's presence, a bucket in the ocean is hard to find. Except that God sees us. We are submersed in Him. We are not insignificant, but He sees us and He loves us. He is never away from us. He is near, he is far, he is where we are. We have to get That's a poetic line. I didn't even mean to do that. We have to I'm kind of like the kind of like Dr. Seuss preaching. We have to get this in our spirit when things are difficult. There is nowhere we can go away from his presence. The enemy wants you to think you're alone. The enemy wants you to think that God doesn't see you or God is not aware when the fact of the matter is is the psalmist writes and we've read it a thousand times but it's so encouraging. Verse 7 of 139, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. We cannot escape. We cannot hide from the presence of God. Where can we go in darkness that he will not see us? Where will we hide ourselves in a room that he will not see us? God knows. And Jesus even told the disciples as he was ascending to be with the Father, he said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Surely the Lord is with you always. Yes, he is. And don't call me surely, Right? Or call me surely because he is with me always. The Lord is not going to desert you. He is not going to leave you. He is not going to leave you behind. He has not forgotten about you. He has not missed your situation that you're in. He is with you. While we are submersed in God, we are still expected to seek Him. Now this is the problem. We're submersed in God, and that we're expected to seek Him. And it's a hard question for somebody to say, how can you seek for something that is right there? Well, let's talk about it. Acts chapter 17, Paul's in Athens, and he was distressed by seeing so many idols, and he says this, uh, from one man, in verse 26, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Paul makes a really profound statement that we are placed here for one purpose, that we would know God. Submersed in his presence, that we would know him. People try to judge God. They try to judge him as being unfair, cruel, mean, harsh. What did he do, folks? He placed us in the middle of his presence and said, can you find me yet? You see me? The scripture says, perhaps. Everybody say, perhaps. Isn't there always a perhaps with people? My kids, I'm going to leave them at the babysitter, and perhaps they'll behave themselves. I'll drop the kids off at school and perhaps they'll learn something. You know, take somebody to work, perhaps they'll work. You know, there's a decision. Take Pastor Bob to a celebration of a marriage and perhaps he will dance. There's a choice, amen? There's a will. And God has given us a free will. And God said, I'm going to submerge you in me and in my presence, but the desire for you to know me belongs to you. I will draw you to me. I will make myself known to you, but it's your decision whether you want to reach out to me. So perhaps there's a decision of free will there in the midst of all this. And, And he's not far off, folks. We are told to seek for something that is not far off. He's not far away from us. Have you ever tried to find something that is not far away from you? When I was a kid, when I was a kid and you have four sisters and a mom, there were a lot of earrings in the house. A lot, all right? Um, And I never wore one because it was made clear that if I did, it would be jerked out of my ear. Okay, Alvy. okay? So we we had, welcome home, Zach uh this (laughs) right now everybody's saying he's the most offensive man in the world listen he and i got this relationship it's okay we're good uh what was i oh earrings when i was a kid my sisters you know they have their earrings or whatever and they lose the back and it's everybody stop where did it go it's like this, little, this thing that big, either silver or gold, whatever, and, and you can't find it anywhere. And everybody's stopping and looking for it. The whole family, we're looking on the floor for earrings. And you can't find the stupid earring. And then they lose a little earring, you know what I'm saying? And you can't find it until you're barefoot. And you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> Found it! <laughs> Finding things that are not far off sometimes are difficult, right? Alyssa, when she got her contacts the first time, you know, a little girl with her first contacts, how that is. Yeah, I lost my contact. You're looking for it, and when you scan the whole floor and everything, then you're scared because you go. You have to check your feet, and it's not the feet, and then finally you look at her, and it's stuck to the shirt. Sometimes it's difficult to find something that's not far off. But here's the difference, okay? There's a difference between our omnipresent God and an earring back. There's a difference between our omnipresent God and a contact lens. You say, what's the difference? It could be compared to me taking you and throwing you into the ocean and say, okay, I want you to find water. It's not difficult, is it? It's the same thing as, hey, why don't you walk out the door and see if you can find me some oxygen and fresh air. You see, when you're submersed in something, it's not difficult to find, is it? When you're submersed in God, he's not difficult to find. It's the desire or the will of your heart to admit that you found it too many people swimming in the ocean saying, I can't find no water. Too many people breathing air into their lungs and questioning whether or not it really exists. Amen. God does exist. He is existing. He is in all things. He is through things. He is not difficult to find. We just simply have to reach out for Him. should be as simple as a brand new baby coming out of its mama's womb and naturally breathes in the air of the atmosphere he's been born into. It may cough and choke for a minute or two, but then he figures it out and he lives breathing that presence all the rest of his life. It's that way with us when we seek God, when we're pursuing God. He, we are submerged in Him, but we have to find Him. And you say, well, then why is it that man has to seek if we are Submerged. Folks, it's because it's not a geographical issue. Seeking God doesn't mean I have to get on a donkey and ride three nations over to get to the place where God is. It's not a problem of geography, it's a problem of the heart. It's a condition of man. Why do we have to seek Him? Because this flesh that we live in is sinful, and it separates us from God. It keeps us distracted. It keeps us beat down and confused and misguided. Hebrews 10.1 says this about the geographic location of worship. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities of them. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices uh, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Now, when it talks about sacrifices and drawing near to worship here, he's talking about the fact that people actually did have to journey to the temple and journey to the place of worship. But then if you go down to the bottom of that chapter in Hebrews 10.22, it says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed With pure water. There was a time, folks, where the worship of God was a geographical worship. Okay? You say, what do you mean by that? God, from the very beginning, he he told Abraham, gave Abraham promises, and from then on, he began to take man to a place of worship. All the way up to, jump up to Moses. There's a few others in there, but we're going to talk about Moses. We'll go back to Jacob here in a minute. But Moses, Moses, God told him, He said, I want you to go in and I want you to set my people free, okay? And then when you're done, you're going to come back to this mountain and worship. The place of worship. This is where God is. God did what? He came down, he manifested himself to them, gave them the Ten Commandments, gave Moses all the instructions of how to build the tabernacle, a place of worship. So he constructed a tabernacle, put the tabernacle where it was. God's presence filled it. His manifest presence, his Shekinah glory, dwelt between the cherubs. And he was in the holy place. Okay? That's, that was the place of worship. And for all of the history of the Jews, they worshiped like that. They would come and worship at the tabernacle. When somebody needed to make sacrifice, they would bring the sacrifice to the tabernacle. They would come and they would seek for wisdom or direction from the tabernacle. You remember when Hannah cried out to God because she couldn't have children and she begged the Lord for a son and he gave her Samuel. It was there that she wept before Eli in great tears and sobbing and, and Eli accusing her of being drunk. It was at the tabernacle, the place of worship, that she was doing this. She was seeking out the presence of God. It was Samuel that was sent to serve at the tabernacle. He served under Eli right there. That's where he was laying when he heard the voice of God. Listen, folks, there was a geographical place to hear from God. And then Solomon's temple was built. Solomon's temple was built... The sacrifice continued, it was the place of worship, it was the place of seeking God. It was this place that while Daniel was in captivity in Babylon, that he would go out on his roof and he would open the doors and he would face the direction towards the temple to bow down and pray because that was the direction of the place of worship. That's where the manifest presence of God was. You see, this was always the concern that there was a place of worship. There was, there was a place that, I, that God's presence dwelt that I would go and I would meet with Him. But after Jesus became a sacrifice for us, we were no longer bound to a place of worship. We don't have to go to the temple to find God. We don't have to go there to worship and commune with him. In John 4, there's this conversation uh, between the Samaritan woman and Jesus verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. But see folks, there's a time coming. The time is now. We don't have to come to a place to find the presence of God. Paul said that our But we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are now the place of worship and communion and fellowship. And it's where? It's in our hearts. And what I read to you in Hebrews, it says to approach the Lord with a sincere heart. A heart that's been sprinkled, a heart that's been cleansed from guilty conscience and our bodies washed pure. Listen, we are approaching Him with a sincere heart. We don't have to go to a temple. Folks, if this place is the only place that you, that you read the Word, that you pray, that you think about God, you've missed it. This is a portion of seeking the Lord. It's a tool and assistance of seeking the Lord. But we've got to perhaps reach out to Him every day of our lives. He can be found with a sincere heart, a heart that just says, Jesus. 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 You can sense that even in the room right now, just the the hush and the calm of the name of Jesus. I'm submerged in Him, folks, and He surrounds me. He's he's closer, He's inside of me, He's around me. I am not alone. I don't have to scream to be heard. I don't even have to speak to be heard. Jesus. You know how many times I've prayed with people that were unable to speak or move? And, and this calm, this understanding of knowing that God even knows our thoughts, how comforting that is to me. A dear friend of mine that had been in a bad car accident that needed Jesus and for years laid in a laid in a nursing home bed staring around to the ceiling that they said that he wasn't conscious and that he didn't understand what was going on and he got the gospel from me a couple of different times. And I told him, I said, you don't even have to speak the word. Just think it. He hears you. Cry out to him in your heart. Cry out to him in your heart. Folks, this Jesus that we're called to seek is not far off. He's not far away. And there is no specific place that we have to go seek Him except with a sincere heart to draw near to Him. They used to have to draw near to Him by taking long journeys, but now we just draw near to Him by His name because now we know His name. Finding God has more to do with perception than it does with geography. I want to share with you for a minute about Jacob. Jacob. not Michelle's Jacob and not Becky's Jacob which I said in the first service Michelle's Jacob is exactly like I was at that age God help them all <laughs> purposefully trying to get into people's heads and just annoy them he did that to me he'd go out to eat and he would just be in my face hey Bob, hey Bob, hey Bob and I would just keep eating and ignore and ignore Michelle and they're like how are you doing that It's I was like that was me <laughs> that was me Great kid, man. He's a lot of fun, isn't he? Hmm. Well, this Jacob also was a deceiver. The one I'm, No, I'm just kidding. This Jacob... <laughs> the Jacob in the Bible, obviously, is known as a deceiver. He kind of gets a bad rap because of some things he said and did and some things he, you know, had, had done. But he knew... Uh, what his father and his grandfather had believed. They knew what they'd been promised, and, and, uh, but he just hadn't fully grasped everything yet. And Jacob had some issues, and he was going to continue to have issues, but he was sent away to go find him a wife, and he was a little bit distracted. How many of you know that when you're finding a wife, you can get distracted and tired? He got distracted and tired, and he was out trying to find him a wife, and he lays down, puts his head on a rock, and he goes to sleep. And while he's asleep, he sees a vision, and he sees a vision of a ladder, or some versions say ladder, others say stairway. And he sees, uh, he sees these stairs, ladder, whatever, and he sees angels ascending and descending on it. And he looks up and the, and the heavens are open and he sees the Son of Man, he sees the Lord, a pre-incarnate Christ, speaks to him and makes some major promises to him, reaffirms the promises that he had given Abraham, and he talks to him about it. And when he wakes up, this is what happens. In verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He set up a stone there, he anointed it, and he called it Bethel. It was a place of worship. But he called that place the gate of heaven. Say it with me, gate of heaven. Gate of heaven. heaven. It's key. I want us to realize this because I'm afraid that too many of us wander through our lives the same way Jacob was, distracted, confused, making decisions based off what we know, what we think, what we want, and, and we just continue through life. But until we get a revelation of who Jesus Christ is, we remain the same. Following Jacob's revelation, he turned and he said, Lord, you're my God. I want you, God, to be my God. He humbled himself before God. Things were changed and things were different. He was beginning to be developed into the great nation that had been promised. Too many times we're like Nathaniel. Nathaniel who was underneath a tree and, and uh, Philip was like, Hey, we found the Messiah. John 1, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, You are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Do you start to see the correlation there with what happened with Jacob and the promise that was given to Nathanael? You'll see the angels ascending and descending. On the Son of Man. What did they call that place? They called it the Gate of Heaven. Jesus is the gateway to see God, He's the avenue to perceive that God is near us. He's the avenue. He looks into Nathaniel's life and he said, "Nathaniel, I know that you have opinions. I know you have attitudes. I know that you're just laying there like you always do and, and underneath that tree taking it easy. You had no idea that you were this close to the gate. I dare say some of us walked into this room today coming to church. We had no idea that we were this close to the gate. I had no idea that we were this close to the manifest presence of God. The God that seemed far off, but now has revealed himself to me. He told Nathaniel, you're going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, Nathaniel, you are standing in the same presence that Jacob was. The same presence that Jacob was not aware of and he found and it changed him. You were not aware, but now you found it and it's changing you. And later Jesus revealed this to them all in John 10. He says, therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate. For the sheep, all who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Remember what the angels were doing? They were coming in and going out. Friends, you got to get this with me this morning, okay? Jesus is the gate. How do we know? God is omnipresent. Why do we need to seek? Why do we have to reach out? It is Jesus that has reached out to us. If you will draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. Reach out to Him. It is through your heart. That through the times of struggle, through the times of fear, through the times of doubt, that you can travel in and out and have pasture. And what is it that you find in the pasture, folks? You find peace. You find rest. You find fulfillment. For the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to do what? Lie down in green pastures. Leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Jesus, Jesus, I reach out to you. I reach out to you because I need that pasture, Lord. I need to be able to travel in and out and receive. I had no idea, Pastor, that I was this close to the gate of heaven. You see, seeking requires your will. It requires... Your submission to Him. It requires that you would desire to perceive Him. He is the gate of heaven. He's the one that will never leave us. He's the one that will never forsake us. He's the one that will be there with us until the end of the age. It's by Him that everything was created, and nothing was created without Him. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He's the beginning. He is the end. You walked in here today not knowing that I was walking into that presence. But can I tell you something? It's not just here. Because worship and relationship with this omnipresent God is not geographical. When you leave this place, you walk into your home, the presence of God. You know what concerns me is that sometimes, like Nathaniel, as I was saying a few minutes ago, in Jacob, we go through our lives and we we just don't ever perceive the presence of God. We know He's omnipresence, but we just don't perceive it. Do you know that a lot of the behaviors of people's lives, the gross sin that we rationalize, if we would remember that God is omnipresent and He sees everything we're doing, that would really help curb some of our behaviors. So often, we don't perceive God in the right way. You see, what the problem is, is the enemy likes to throw pleasures at us, He likes to throw troubles at us, and he wants us to mess up our perception of God, who God is. And it's that mentality that says, if, God is, if that's the God that you serve, I don't want anything to do with him. Pastor, I don't want to pray to God because God did this to me. I don't feel like talking to him right now. Your perception of God has been skewed. When the enemy gets you to, pers- to mess up your perception, the truth of who God is, then what happens is, is now you come to a place to where you are in the midst of his very presence and you don't even know it. The Lord was in this place and I knew it not. But he's revealing himself to your heart today. You say, Pastor, so why is it? Why don't we perceive as I have Devin and Steve or whoever come? Why is it that I don't perceive? Well, first of all, if we perceive him it's going to affect our lives and our lifestyles. I know people right now that know the truth and are resistant because they don't want to change. Anybody know anybody like that? Look to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. (laughs) Too often, people don't want to change. That's why churches aren't full. That's why people aren't here. That's why people don't read their Bible. That's why people don't pray. Why? Because they don't want to change. It's a will issue. It's not that they can't find God, it's because they found God. They don't want what He has to offer. It's a rebellion thing. So, why is it? Why don't I perceive? Sin stops us. But when He reveals Himself to us and we respond to Him, that stops sin. It's not a geographic thing again. It's a condition of the heart. We don't perceive Him because there's an enemy of our souls that wants wants us to be distracted, wants to beat us down and hurt us. But I want want you to know, there's some people that are afraid to come to Christ because they don't trust Him. Because their perception has been skewed. They've been hurt. Isaiah 42 verses 1-4 through says, Here is my servant whom I am upholding my chosen one in whom i delight i will put my spirit on him and he will be he will bring justice to the nations he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out in faithfulness he will bring forth justice he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth in his law the islands will put their hope Folks, if you've been hurt, I can tell you this, the times of great trial and pain, weakness, sadness, it can can mess up our perception of God. But I want you to understand something. If you're bruised, He's not going to destroy you. If you're faithless or if you, you just feel weak, you feel burnout... He's not going to snuff you out and flip you off this earth. The terms, you know, God's mad at me, God doesn't like me, God, God this and God that towards me. Those are lies of the enemy. Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on a cross. Why? Because he saw that you were bruised. He took the stripes that the enemy is trying to inflict you with. He came. That by His stripes you would be healed, not destroyed. His desire is that you would be whole. Made whole. And all you have to do is reach out. Say, Jesus, I need you. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if you're here and you say, Pastor, I don't even know Jesus. I'm not saved. He's not my Lord. Romans 10 says this. What does it say? The Word is near you. The Word is near you. It's not far away. Some people say, Pastor, God can't save me. If you knew what I had done, well, aren't you prideful in your sin? Don't you think that you just are so evil and bad? That is a lie of the enemy. It doesn't matter what you have done. God's grace abounds more than your sin. Period. You say, Pastor, the word is near you. It's in your mouth. What is that word, folks? Jesus. 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 It's in your heart that is the word of faith we are proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. What do you have need of today? So pastor, why is it that I have to seek this omnipresent God? Because he wants to see you put your will forward to find Him. But I can tell you this, finding Him is like dropping in the ocean and looking for water. He made you to know Him. He's not difficult to find. Jesus, stand with me. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I just want to give opportunity for some response. You say, Pastor, I am... Pastor, I'm one of those people that's dealing with some bondage in my life, some sin of some kind that you've allowed it to control you and you need to overcome it. And you say, I just need prayer today. And you say, I'm ready to reach out for him. I'm ready to be delivered. If that's you this morning, just by a quick uplifted hand, nobody's looking at you. It's between you, me, and God, and we're going to pray with you. You say, Pastor, I need delivered from some things in my life that I'm dealing with. See those hands. Hallelujah. Three, four, good. Awesome. You can put them down. Say, Pastor, I'm that bruised reed. I'm that smoldering wick. Sometimes I'm just kind of faithless and I'm afraid and I feel like God would rather just go ahead and break me or snuff me out completely because I know my sin. I know who I have been. You're just beat down and tired and you need the Spirit of God to do a reviving work in your life if that's you this morning by an uplifted hand we're going to just believe in faith and pray with you just lift your hand this morning say that's me pastor that's who you're talking about I see him I see him good hallelujah what you're doing what you don't realize is you're reaching out right now with that hand lifted up he sees you he's even moving right now in your life just begin to talk to him even now you say pastor I'm not even a believer I don't serve Jesus friend I I shared that passage about the word being near you. It's very simple. It's not a difficult process to come to Jesus. He'll hear you. You're not too bad. You're not too awful. That's a lie of the enemy. If you're here, you say, Pastor, I need to make him the Lord of my life. Would you just simply reach out to him by lifting up a hand quickly so we can pray with you?